Hello, it's the Campaign Podcast brought to you by Campaign, the advertising industry magazine. I'm Omar Oaks, media and tech editor at Campaign. And I'm Brittany Kiefer, Campaign's creativity and culture editor. Later in this episode, you can hear me get on the couch with former ad agency founder and account man turned psychotherapist Paul Cowan. Paul left Adland to become a couples therapist and then consultant to ad agencies on how to fix their broken relationships with clients. We talk about why agency relationships break down and how they can be fixed without changing your whole team or calling a review. Uh, so more on that later, but first, Brittany, are you excited? Are you excited about lockdown coming to an end? We've had the roadmap. We can now start thinking possibly about all the wonderful things we're going to do. Are you excited? I am not that excited because it's hard to imagine it actually happening but i'm cautiously hopeful you've been scarred by all the disappointments i feel like boris johnson is like a really bad boyfriend who just he promises the world and he never delivers and now even though he's he's come back on bended knee and being quite cautious this time i still feel like this June 21st thing when everyone's everything's going to be open it doesn't feel like it's going to be true i agree i'll believe it when i see it but you know I'm I'm slightly optimistic and also the weather helps. It feels like spring. Yeah, it does feel spring-like and optimism is in the air. Um, everyone's getting excited and the case is starting to go down as millions of us get vaccinated against COVID-19. And even people I know who to be honest, are significantly younger than 40 years of age are being offered vaccines already just because I think I think the GP surgeries they've just got more do- they've got more doses than they 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 need or that's the wrong way to put it but they've got a lot of doses and they can start offering it to younger people so millions and millions of people being vaccinated um which brings us on to um one campaign we wanted to talk about this week um this launched last week uh but it's really interesting uh, it's called take the vaccine uh the uk's major commercial broadcasters came together last week to air this campaign which encourages ethnic minority communities to get vaccinated against covid19 uh, there was a tv ad roadblock uh, which is when all the ads done at the same time on the different channels it ran on simultaneously on itv channel 4 and channel 5 as well as some sky channels last thursday just before 10 p.m uh, it features adil ray the actor cricketer moen ali and former olympic champion denise lewis and also comedian who is in literally everything right now romish raganathan at uh, the address vaccine hesitancy among ethnic minority communities there is no scientific evidence to suggest that the vaccine will work differently for people from ethnic minorities. In fact, the scientists who developed one of the most widely used vaccines are Muslim. The vaccine does not include pork or any material of fetal or animal origin. This has been an independent campaign created by um, Adel Ray and the agency Media Hive and Engine also helped create it. Um, but there, the reason why it's important that it's independent or why they emphasize this is that there is a lot of mistrust among ethnic minority communities towards the government and um, authority. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It's very complicated. But as um, Samir Ahmed, who leads the agency Media Hive, said, these are trusted voices. This is made by the community for the community. And that's the message that, that they wanted to get across. Um, what's interesting about it is that there have been other videos like this um, featuring members of ethnic minority communities speaking about concerns 
that are relevant to them during the pandemic. And there was actually an earlier version of this video that came out in January. But what was really striking about it was to, to see all these major broadcasters come together and air it at the same time. And every moment I turned on the TV that day, on it was last Thursday, the BBC or someone was talking about this issue, it was the leading news item of the day. And often you see this, any kind of topic that is specific to ethnic minority groups is often much further down the news agenda. So to see it as the number one item of discussion and being given such prominent airtime and through you know, three and a half minutes where all the broadcasters paused to show this video was really striking because that doesn't happen very often and to see those cultural concerns being brought front and center. But ultimately, this is an issue that's important to all communities and there's vaccine hesitancy in all groups. So there, while they may be addressing specific cultural concerns, these issues are relevant to everyone and it's a discussion that everyone needs to be having. And it just goes to show that having inclusive communications and speaking to diverse audiences is is really important in on all matters but this you know especially something like this when it's a public health concern it it affects everyone so in terms of the messaging and how they created it and um, what are people saying about how effective it has been in terms of um, reaching ethnic minority people who may have concerns about the vaccine well, one concern that was raised was that if it if it airs on mainstream broadcasters, how effective is that going to be? Because there are some figures that show that ethnic minorities consume mainstream media um, at a you know less often than um, than other groups. But what was interesting that it wasn't actually maybe apparent to everyone is that at the same time as it aired on channels like ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, it was also airing on some more community-focused channels, um, more local outlets, and they also made the video, so the video was made to circulate on social media. That was the first version was that it was just being posted on social channels, and the engine helped them turn it into a proper TV ad, but they also made that ad downloadable so that you could easily share it on channels like WhatsApp or Facebook. Um, so even though it, it was on mainstream television, it was also made in a way where it could easily be consumed on these more shareable platforms. Yeah, it's interesting about um, the media planning side of it because um, we actually um, we had Chris Kenner, uh, the CEO and founder of Brand Advance on the show last summer in the wake of um, the Black Lives Matter protests and the George Floyd murder. Um, and as well as talking about the issue about diversity and inclusion in the advertising industry more generally, he talked a bit about his business and what they do, Brand Advance, is they actually help brands specifically target ethnic minority people in their media plans. Um, because as you alluded to, very often when you when you when you go through the mainstream broadcasters, they actually under-index for reaching ethnic minority people. So um, a brand may unwittingly be under-representing, uh, maybe talking to uh, ethnic minority people less through ad campaigns um, if they just go through the, the usual suspects, if I can put it like that. What do you think, in hindsight, maybe um, this campaign could have done instead to maybe become be more effective? 
Well, first of all, you have to ask why are ethnic minorities consuming mainstream media less? Well, a lot of it is to do because they're not represented on those channels. And throughout the pandemic, communications targeting ethnic minority groups has been very lacking. And yes, there's been some of it, but often there haven't been enough um, campaigns that address their concerns specifically. So what you've really seen is a lot of grassroots efforts stepping up to fill those gaps. And this campaign was a grassroots effort that went mainstream. But also, like I alluded to before, we need to talk about what does mainstream mean? Like this might on the surface appear to be a concern that only affects ethnic minority groups, but this concern is relevant to all of us. And if there's anything the pandemic has shown us, it's that one group being affected by something can affect everyone. So let's let's rethink what mainstream media should be and who it should speak to. Yeah, I like it. I like it, Brittany. This virus doesn't care what color you are. Um, so you wonder to, how much should we either? Yeah, I like it, Brittany. Interesting. Um, okay, uh, let's move on to um, another campaign which has caught our attention this week. Um, this is by Tommy Tippy. They create those cups which miraculously, when the baby tips it over, they don't spill out. Um, I still don't know how they do that. Um, but yeah, the, Tommy Tommy Tippy has launched a global campaign to demystify the realities of infant feeding to new and prospective mums. Let's have a quick listen. I'm the queen of this town. Well, yeah, we like to get down. Freak it up to this cell. Like, I'm the best. I, I'm the best in this. This is called The Boob Life. It's created by the agency Manifest. And it features a brand film and a six-part digital content series that aims to have a more honest conversation about feeding. Uh, this ad uh, showcases a range of feeding methods from breast bottles or pumps with the message that it's okay for mums to shape feeding around their needs and feel confident whatever they do um of course this is available to view at our website campaignlive.co.uk but Brittany, what do you think about this well the campaign creatively is very reminiscent of ads like body forms viva la vulva or mother cares campaign which showed real mums and their bodies in a kind of more unfiltered way so it's part of that same genre, I would say, but it really struck me that even though I don't have children, so I've never had to experience the challenges of breastfeeding, that we still need to have these campaigns that address concerns that are relevant to women that are so core to their everyday experiences, but often still aren't represented in advertising. And advertising can be guilty of perpetuating these myths or these ideas that it should go a certain way or that you should look a certain way or feed your babies a certain way. And that can be really damaging when it comes time to actually going through those experiences yourself, which you said you, you know, you related to that as a new parent, right? Uh, yes, as um as a relatively new parent, it's somewhat shocking how well how ignorant I was anyway about um how the issues around breastfeeding, how difficult it can be, and even when you try to be diligent as a new parent and you know you've had this baby and suddenly you're asked to do breastfeeding right there and then it's like the first thing that you're told to do breastfeed the baby, and it's really difficult and. Well, it's annoying for the first part that there isn't more conversation about it and a bit more support for how difficult breastfeeding can be. Yeah. Well, this reminded me a bit of a campaign by Water Wipes and the Brooklyn Brothers that came out 
I want to say 2019 um, called This is Parenthood. Did you see that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So it was a similar idea. It wasn't just specifically about breastfeeding, although I think that was pictured in the ad, but it was about new parents and showing these real, real unfiltered images of their experiences with their babies. And they talked about how the reason they made it was because so often when you see ads about baby care or new parents, the it just looks all, you know, rosy and idyllic. Mm. Everything's so, you know, soft lighting and pastel colors and everything's going really well. It's very peaceful, but the reality is so much different. But when you see images like that in ads and in media, it can make you feel like you're failing. Yeah. And the brand found in its research yeah. that so many of its parents that they were targeting just felt like they were floundering and they weren't doing a good enough job. So they wanted to make an ad that captured their real experiences and spoke to them in a more honest way. So you're seeing more ads like that when it comes to parenthood. And water wipes is an example, or this one is a good example. But I think we, you know, the more the better, really. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you don't want every ad to be serious or, dare I say, a downer. But you've got to be realistic when you're trying to do things that are uplifting um, aspirational and yeah too many of these mum and baby ads are just giggling baby really well lit well furnished middle class lifestyle room and it's just not really speaking to the realities of parenthood and you know um, we'll get on to uh, the TV ad summit uh, our event which we ran this week for campaign um, but one thing that stood out a lot of people talked about was um, how 2020 after we had all the kind of very similar COVID ads and you remember the sorts of um, Zoom star ads that we saw on our TV sets last year. Um, what a lot of people remarked that um, brand purpose kind of came into its own in 2020. As to your point about the pandemic kind of being this sort of unifying or leveling force, for I think for a lot of brands, the light bulb really switched on in terms of, yeah, well, actually, purpose is where we need to be because this is a time where we need to be closer to our customers' concerns. And it started a lot of kind of real thinking in terms of, you know, authentic ways to do purpose. Um, so if we put this ad uh, for Tommy Tippy into this category, I think that, you know, it's not necessarily being kind of ultra realistic or serious. You can still be uplifting, but just do it in a bit more of a sophisticated way. Uh, in short, we ain't that dumb, yo. <laughs> what a profound statement. <laughs> Thank you. Uh Yes, uh, this week was the TV Advertising Summit hosted by Campaign. Um, I've written a piece about it on our site, campaignlive.co.uk. Um, but it, it was very interesting for a couple of reasons. I think that two of the themes that stood out uh, were just how the, the impact of last year and all the disruption essentially encouraged much of the TV industry on both the creative and the media side to be more experimental and more collaborative um, there was a there was a good quote from Claire Peters um, from Channel 4 which I wrote down where she said that TV's entered a new era and I don't think that will change there's an empathy that brands now have on TV that they didn't have a year ago and it's created an experimentation mindset 
Um, we also heard from Sergio Lopez from McCann World Group, who described how demand for content is higher now than ever before, which he said means the definition of fast has changed where fast used to mean eight weeks production. And now it means more like five days. Um, Brittany, I suppose this is something that you hear from creatives and people from production companies quite a lot. Do you think that now generally there's a an acceptance that you know they've got to do things at speed now and that means maybe the work isn't as high quality but that's okay i hear two things on that so one the production process seems to be happening much faster like from the point of having an idea to actually getting it made but also the the actual shoots themselves take much longer because you have to account for COVID restrictions and what you can and cannot do and fewer people being in the room and all of that. So um, it's gotten at the same time more complicated and longer to make stuff, but also an expectation of turning it around faster. I don't think that's hurting the quality in most cases. I think it's just, um, I think the work has still been really strong and it's forcing people to think creatively because you have to make work in a different way and you have to think how will things work in this COVID world and that can force people to take more creative decisions. So I don't I don't think that the work is getting worse. I think it's still really strong. Okay, Brittany, thanks very much. We'll see you again next week. What are you up to for the rest of this week? I am finishing that piece following up the vaccine hesitancy campaign and then we'll see we'll see what i have time for we'll see okay Brittany, thanks very much and now to our interview with paul cowan and i'm here today with paul cowan who is founder of not one but two consultancies uh, called very similar things, the Client Relationship Consultancy and the Customer Relationship Consultancy. Um, Paul is an ex-agency account man who was group account director at Saatchi and Saatchi in the 80s and left in 1990 alongside seven other account directors to found his own agency, Cowan Kemsley Taylor. Seven years later, he merged it and left and went on to do master's degrees in psychotherapy and organizational change. And then he went into couples therapy. Today, he now uses his experience as an advertising account handler and psychotherapist to coach agencies on how to improve their relationships with clients and fix problems in those relationships. He's just written a book called Connecting with Clients that will be published at the end of March. Uh, so, Paul, forgive me, I've taken up half our allotted interview time by introducing you, but it's certainly a unique career journey. I wanted to explain what you've been doing. Um, firstly, how are you and where does lockdown find you? Well, thank you for the great introduction. You find me in the Isle of Wight, right by the beachside, um, dodging the wind and dodging the waves. And lockdown is pretty good. Very nice indeed. Um, so... As I say, it's a unique career journey that you've taken from someone who used to be an agency suit, used to, you founded an agency, and now effectively, I guess, a couples therapist of <laughs> troubled agency client relationships. What made you decide to get into psychotherapy when you left Adland? Um, and, you know, why not start another agency, for example? I'm really glad you asked. I'd uh, become really conscious uh, the last few years of my work in advertising of how somehow um, high-functioning individuals, and by high-functioning, I mean clients and agencies, uh, agency folk that could hold down jobs, hold down relationships, how somehow they colluded with each other on a Monday morning 
to make the worst of each other. You know, that seemed to be an incredible skill. It was really intriguing. And then I also noticed that, uh, you know, some of my account teams would go through absolute hell, uh, work all night, go through fire, anything for their particular client, but they couldn't be bothered to get off their collective bar stools for another client. And I thought, well, what's going on? Why is that? How is it that these people operate, you know, same people have such different relationships? And I guess that was the start of a journey. I became more fascinated by, you know, what makes people do the things they do and how do they relate to each other? And I was also becoming conscious of my own um, both abilities and inabilities in managing relationships and it really intrigued me and at that point I thought I need to go and find out more there's something really interesting here and I went and I joined the uh, University of Surrey School of Management uh, to study organizational change and you know I thought I'd never uh, walk into an advertising agency media agency digital agency ever again uh, I was bound for a different course in a different direction uh, and I was happy doing that. And somehow life has changed and I'm back with agencies, but in a very different way. Mm. Um, and um, the book that's about to come out called Connecting with Clients, um, it's I suppose it's written like um, an encyclopedia. Um, it's got topics ranging from A to Z, A for annual reviews, what's not to like, to Z, 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 Z as in sleep, staying alert with the other so dull clients. Um, so are you intending this to be, I guess, a go-to guide for agency folk uh, who might have this at their desk whenever a client sends them a snarky email or, dare I say, it calls an account review? Well, yes, is the answer. <laughs> I think it is a bit of a Bible. I hadn't realised how big it was. Uh, I started with A and I just kept writing and it just seemed that there was more and more to write. And in fact, there is more and more to write. I wrote down everything I wished I'd known when I was in advertising. And really, leaving advertising um, and looking back on the business from a totally different perspective gave me some fantastic insights, particularly with the skills of, of understanding organisations, understanding how teams work together, and how people miscommunicate so badly in couple relationships. And uh, there seemed to be a fantastic uh, benefit when I did uh, start talking to people agencies about some of these issues. They were able to begin to have insight into their part in a relationship and also the client's part. And, and instead of focusing on the task at hand, they began to focus on the relationship itself. You know, and I, I think about... Um, all relationship challenges is twofold. There's problem A, and if you can imagine at the top of any uh, to-do list, there's a, you know, whatever the brief is, whatever the delivery is, the budget, all the kind of tasky functions uh, are problem A functions. And that's where um, uh, the agency teams that I was dealing with uh, spent 99% of their time. But actually, problem B which lies below that, which is how does the client feel about the agency and how does the agency feel about the client? And by the way, I talk about all kinds of agencies here, consultancies, doesn't matter. I'm not talking about the old school type of advertising agency. Yeah, how do, how do those people feel about each other? Because problem A, you know, whatever it is, the work, the deliverables, the budget, the sign-off, the process, 
is always mediated by the team's experience of each other. And yet nobody really paid attention to that. And so the book is a compendium of ideas and thoughts to help people in the business. Uh, and whether by luck or by design, um, it's you're, you're publishing at an interesting time this year because you know, we've already had in the first couple of months a large number of major brands reviewing their agency relationships on both the advertising, creative and the media side. So there will be a lot of um, uh, informal and formal reviews of relationships right now. Um, so you... I mean, you can't talk about uh, the individual clients that you work with, but I think it's fair to say you work with a number of uh, network and independent agencies on a consultancy basis. Um, how does it work in practice? What kind of questions uh, do you ask when you're doing this consultancy for agencies? I can't answer that. <laughs> Uh, you have to say uh, just in gen just in general things when you when um you know let, let's role play a little bit if i'm a agency account handler and i say to you i've got a real problem with this this client um we'll get into what kind of problems that people come to you with in a second but how what kind of um what kind of questions do you need to to ask to unpick kind of what's beneath the surface of the problem it's a really interesting question i don't even know how to answer that uh uh i guess I'd prefer to talk about my stance. If, if I happen to be resolving an issue or attempting to resolve an issue between a client and an agency, um, my stance is of an independent uh, person. I stand well outside um, and I observe how they speak about each other. I'm listening for the language uh, that they use uh, that conveys some of their mental models about each other. Um, and I am... I will pursue whatever the issue is so that I really understand it. Uh, it's not about asking specific questions. It's really about getting inside of their shoes and standing, for, uh, really appreciating what's going on from their perspective, both at a, a practical level and an emotional impact level. How important is this to them and what does it impact them? And so what are the, um, I guess, the most, in, in, on a on a generalized basis, what are the most common problems that you're finding in client agency relationships nowadays? And has this changed at all compared to, let's say, 10 years ago? I think, are, there, are there different problems now than there were before? Well, I think the problems are still problem B problems. Uh, you know, how's the relationship rather than the work? We still see, you know, many agencies ho holding on to uh, accounts uh, of all sorts, uh, providing all, all different types of service when actually the work isn't that particularly good uh, and the client is aware of that, uh, or not particularly outstanding, maybe. Uh, and we also see examples where uh, uh, agencies lose business despite outstanding work. And that comes often to this notion of the relationship itself and how effectively is that being managed. You know, many agencies across the globe, and they won't like me for saying this, operate at a similar level of skill and delivery. I mean, by and large. You know, if, if you're on the, if you're playing the game of advertising or media or uh, experiential, whatever it is, you're competing at a similar level with each other. You have a similar set of skills, generally a similar set of resources, uh, by and large. And the real difference is then the skill of the individuals in managing the relationship. And the problems that we see are more or less. Uh, generalised around the relationship issues um, and the, the 
couple, a couple of things go on. One is, um, in terms of the fit between a client and an agency, there's a real need for agencies of all sorts to understand what is our role here uh, and what's the purpose of what we're doing and do we really match the, the client in terms of our philosophy about our approach, how we get the best work, how we evaluate the work. And often those things are problematic, or at least the fit is not great. And over time, problems can make any mismatch just too much to bear. So fit between clients and agents is important. Team, you know, there's frequently issues around team on both sides. Uh, both clients and agencies not having adequate resource and not realizing it. The churn is a really big issue, dealing with team churn. Because in you know in organizational theory terms, every new person on a team creates a new team. There's a whole new dynamic at work, and so team churn is is uh, fundamentally uh, you know an undercurrent that runs through. Is there just on that point about churn? Is there a, is there a specific way to mitigate? Um, this problem of churn because you know agencies are like a lot of businesses people come people go yeah that's absolutely true and and the most important thing is uh doing the simple stuff like telling a client immediately that somebody somebody's resigning rather than, it doesn't matter how, how important in the team uh early advice managing expectations critically important uh, and, and communicating over communicating now, the problem is that, that, you know, agencies don't have as much time maybe as they used to. You know, margins are squeezed. There are fewer people. It takes longer to do things as a result because there are many more things for the individuals in an agency to do than there ever were in the past. So managing the expectations is, is yet another thing. And yet it's the most critical thing. And so team churn, uh, managing that really well, bringing the clients along uh, is vitally important because the problem for clients is when they experience uh, team churn they begin to question you know what's the problem with, with my agency why is that uh, and there's a, just the seed of a doubt and that seed can grow quite quickly and so stopping that from from growing and becoming a problem uh, is really important and how important have you found is agency culture in air quotes uh and uh, you know i appreciate maybe we need to define culture as we go along but um why i'm asking because agency brands they tend to be very important when it comes to selling the agency uh, to a brand uh, and even to trade magazine journalists uh, and when we talk about culture maybe you know we could you know that comprises its values its heritage its attitude towards marketing generally but how much do you think that matters at the coalface of client service versus you know the qualities of an individual account manager well the individual account manager is going to be attracted to the culture of an agency uh, and hopefully will live out that culture in everything that they live and breathe uh, so that that to me from that point of view cult culture is important because uh, there there are distinctions between between agencies um, and they will be emphasized undoubtedly to to create a point of difference to you as a journalist uh, and to, to clients. Uh, you know, this is what we stand for. And having a point of view and a principle is important. But it is difficult to to uh, uh, to nail down what do we mean by culture. Uh, and uh, there are many, many definitions. As a change agent, you know, it was too easy to get tripped up about company culture. 
Uh, I, what I would say is that what can trip agencies up is uh, uh, the difference between espouse values and values in action. You know, espouse values is this, this is what we believe in. Uh, values in action is this is what we actually do. You know, when I was a change agent operating with, uh, you know, large multinationals or even small independent uh, companies, what I noticed was that the CEO, the C-suite people, would tell me all about their values and all about their beliefs and what their culture stood for and everything else. And the way of actually finding out what was going on was to go around to the back of the building, maybe the back of the factory, and ask the smokers how things were and what happened here. And then <laughs> I always get the truth. And it's that dissonance. And I think that, you know, yes, it is important for all agencies to be distinctive in the marketplace. But actually driving whatever their beliefs are through to delivery is important. And then at least the clients know, well, what are we going to get here? What's this really going to mean on a day-to-day -day level? And there's, there's another factor, of course, um, you know, you talk about culture. I just want to say one thing that, uh, here is that, by and large, there is a different cultural norm between clients and agencies as organisations. From dealing between clients and agencies, really understanding what are the cultural differences and how, what does that really mean in terms of how they will be responding to us, how they will be responding to our work, uh, to our initiatives, is really important. Uh, and by the way, by work, I mean any kind of work here. And, you know, I think uh, in, in the book I point out that actually opening one's mind, if, if, I'm, if I'm an account man of any uh, level, opening my mind to what really is going on at a meta level between a client and an agency, my client and my, my agency is really important. And then I will have an insight about what's going on for them and how best to work with them. Uh, rather than just taking it from a cycloptic point of view, which is, oh, we've, we've done some really good work and they should love it. So therefore, do you think, how should I put this, has the agency-client relationship become more transactional, if you like? Um, maybe the, the you, might, you might be a brilliant account handler, for example, but just because the sheer nature of, the because of the more transactional nature of agency-client relationships, you're, you're less able to have an impact? I think the answer is, by and large, uh, relationships have become slightly more transactional. And we've seen the rise of procurement uh, really imposing itself on client agency relationships in quite a considerable way. And in the past, uh, a top-to-top -top relationship uh, would have been the basis for often for a client agency relationship, and now it's contract. And the difference between the two is really significant. A contract uh, gives a client confidence. That's what really what it's about. Now, the problem is that, that working with a contract, it means as an account man, all I need to do is deliver to the particular specific points on that contract, the deliverables that have to be achieved. I think in the past, when there were more relational agreements between clients and agencies, as an account man, I would want to go beyond that because I become quite emotionally committed or relationally committed to the senior client or the senior clients with whom I'm dealing. And then I want to do our very best. The motivation becomes different. And I think that, you know, with, with the rise of procurement, with, of course, there's less money, there's more to do, there are more challenges, 
then it has become more transactional, definitely. So what um what advice therefore would you give to um people coming into this business um in terms of because I guess it's not just a question of managing client relationships but it's also managing relationships within your own organization with uh, the CEO the managing director if there's a group account director for example um who will have their own expectations of how you should be doing this particular job um handling client relationships what what advice would you give to maybe people at the uh, at the start of the journey I think whether you're at the start of the journey or you've made it to global CEO, um, my humble advice would be as things move forward, things, you know, life is going to get tougher. There are going to be uh, tighter budgets and there's going to be more to do. And you can either work harder or you can work increasingly smarter. And for me, paying attention to the relationship itself, problem B, uh, becoming more skilled at relationships is the most important thing. And at the moment, there is no training in that area. There's a, um, a proliferation of trainings across the globe about skills, whether that's writing a brief or anything you like, presentation skills. And, and some of them are very good. I don't want to knock them at all. They're, some of them are very good. I absolutely endorse all, all of those skills-based programs. But they do miss the most important thing, where anybody, uh, uh, and particularly, I guess, a first-day grad, can have a, a really competitive advantage, and that is learning about the psychology of relationships, not in a heavy way, but really easy way to get very, very skilled uh, at business relationships. By relationships, those are with clients and with colleagues. Great, and the book is called Connecting with Clients, and it's out at the end of March. Paul Cowan, thanks very much for coming on to the campaign podcast. And that's the show. Thanks so much for listening, wherever you are, dear listener. Thanks to Paul Cowan and Brittany Kiefer for joining me on this week's episode. This episode of the Campaign Podcast was edited by Lindsay Riley. And you can, of course, find all these stories and more at campaignlive.co.uk. If you're a first-time listener, please subscribe, leave a review, and please leave any feedback to us by emailing campaign at haymarket.com. And remember to put podcast in the subject line. See you next week. Bye.